My guest today is actor, director, writer, and professor at Toronto Metropolitan University, Cynthia Ashberger. She grew up in Croatia, worked in both Canada and Yugoslavia, and later, because of the war, she moved permanently to Canada. Cynthia wrote a play called "Foreign Tongue" to explore the psychology behind accent and how, on the professional level, many people with accents are still being othered. So it feels like、uh, catching the bug is the phrase that actors like to use when it comes to talking about how they. Got into the fields of acting.、Okay. How they first got interested.、Uh, so, can you tell me about how you caught the bug, or was it more like a slower process? Well,、uh, no, I think I caught the bug. Really, my first experience was、um, separate from it. The shooting a, a, a movie and playing a lead when I was twelve in a in a short film was a separate experience. That was more of a. Kind of a venture into this whole world, completely unexpected, and I don't know if I quite caught the bug there yet. I liked it, but I don't think I caught the bug. But then, at age fourteen, I kind of fell in love with a person who was in love with theater, and then he helped me、uh, understand that I too could be an actor, that I too could.、Um, Act, be an artist, and I thought, well, that's that's fantastic. I mean, I never thought that I could be it, so I started going to a community theater group, and I mean, I was religiously going every night. I think after school for for a couple of years there. Yeah. How did the first opportunity came about? The twelve、uh, when you were twelve. Oh, that, that was um, I was uh, playing in a, a, a play group in um in a community center in a park. Back in former Yugoslavia in Zagreb, now Croatia, and they were looking for someone to act in this half-hour movie called The City Park, and they basically said, "Who is interested in this?" and I put my hand up. I don't know. I didn't even know what I was putting my hand up. But they put us in the lineup, and they said, "Okay." You girl, Cynthia, would you like to come for a test shoot? I didn't know what that even was, but I remember I needed to kind of like look at something funny and laugh and say a few lines. It wasn't; it was more like improvisational, and I did well, and they took me. Wow! That, <laughs> so that's what it was. When you said like you liked it, but you don't know if you actually like the acting, my original thought is it must be one of those situations where you just like let's do it with a bunch of friends. But it's not no, even that. It's just it like totally professional.、Oh. Um, and what I didn't like about it was that in the script, I've told this story many times. But in the script,、uh, there is a boy and a girl. There are just two people in this whole movie, two leads, and、um, they're in a park and they're playing. And then you see someone click off the air to that park, and you realize that. It's under some kind of invisible dome, and 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 the air is being sucked out, and there's no more oxygen. So the two of them need to make their way out of the park, and he helps her, and he sort of saves her life, and、um, she has to kiss him on the cheek 
for saving her life. And I, I just didn't. I thought, okay, that's too much. I can't do that and be filmed and for the whole world to see me kissing a boy. And so I I really said to my father, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. And he said, well, you really should do this because it's a big opportunity. And I said, but I don't want to kiss a boy and be filmed doing it. And he said, just do it really, really fast. So I did it really, really fast. And uh, it worked out. I did the movie. And I thought, oh, well, this is a lot of fun. You're playing all the time. And in the end, you you get paid. And I got paid not very much. But I remember that I got paid enough to buy a bicycle. So I did. That's big money for a 12-year-old. That was great. Yeah. So I'm guessing you learned to act in Eastern Europe then. Yes, I did. I, I Then at the age of 17, I went for the auditions for our only theater school in um, in my Republic of Croatia, which was one of the six republics in former Yugoslavia. And the only school that I could really go to, they took 12 people a year and six women out of 12. And so it was extremely competitive to get in, actually. And I prepared like crazy for that audition and and got in. And wow. Yeah. And then I studied for four years. Wow. 12. They're only going to take one of, like, they were only going to take six girls. 12 and people, were, six girls. You, I was wow. one of those. Six women, six men. They How come I didn't, I didn't find that when I was researching? I was like, well, I can't even, I don't even know where is she. I went to, at that time, it's, it's called, now it's Academy of Dramatic Arts, I think, uh, part of the University of Zagreb, like a theater school, four-year conservatory-style program. And then it was called Academia as a film, television, radio. I think it was like Academy for Film, Television, and Radio. I think it was called in those days when I was in school. And um, so we were the uh, theater part, film, theater, and radio. And by 17, actually, like by 14, you were kind of already like, I can do this. Like, this is what I'm yeah, going to do. Well, I was really committed. And right, right, like, right. I did two years of community theater. Then I went to the United States. I was an exchange student for a year, 16 going on 17. I was in, in, in Denver, Colorado, where I finished two high school years in one. <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but I guess I did. I don't know. I was in some big hurry to go into the university. And um, and then I enrolled in university. I was accepted at the age of 17. I was the youngest of students at that school at that time. That, like, I, for the next 10 years, I'll just be telling the same story, how I got into, like, <laughs> an extremely prestigious program. Like, that's what I would be doing if I get into... You, you know, know what, I was very was proud and very that, happy. But then you get on to, to the next thing you get on to actually working there in the school. I mean, learning. That's uh, true. You, know, you get to learn from really good teachers and you right. get to, you know, grow and change with with your, your colleagues, your classmates, and then... Also, I started working professionally at my second year of university. I started working professionally. I started filming and uh, theater. I was really, really busy, really busy my entire school. You were like, you just go, 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 go. Go, 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 go. There was never a dull moment. Never. I I was just thinking of that when you were telling me that, um, like, it's quite an interesting 
scenario that happens in our brain where we get into a school or get a good job, we cheer, we're very happy that we got it. Then you realize, wait, hold on. The work begins now. Yes, now it's now it starts. <laughs> yeah, now and it's like, what, what am I celebrating for? It's like, wait, just now we begin. It's like we should celebrate I mean, when everything is over. I think from the moment that I got the notice that I was accepted to the moment that the school began, my mom always says, "You were so happy," and I think those were some of the happiest moments of my life. I was just so thrilled. It was the beginning of something that I always, always wanted. Yeah. I was delighted. Really delighted. Getting a contract before the contract begins. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then you have that month. I think、uh, the, we got the news. It was. It's different than here because the university there starts in October. So I think we auditioned like very early September, and then got the news mid September, and then kind of started school some mid October or something like that. So that one month was just. Incredible for me. It was a long time ago.、Yeah. It was 1980. <laughs> a was, long time ago was, in a galaxy far away. I was negative 18. You were negative 18. Very good. <laughs>、um, I ask that only because I've heard so many story about how Russian teachers are really tough. I know Russia is not the same as Yugoslavia, especially、mm-hmm. on the political level, but like I've heard so many story of like. Russian or some kind of like Eastern Europe teacher in like the like Russian chess school, Russian music school. They're just、Ballet、really、school. harsh. Like it was like that. Like you know, it there was a sense of you're here now. You must be devoted to your art. You are very lucky to to be here. I mean, the school was for free. It was communism. We didn't pay for school. Uh, you have fantastic professionals teaching you. You have all the conditions, so you show up and you do the work, and you be really, really committed. You do it with all your heart and soul. And I did. I did. I really did. Can you?、Uh, are I cared. There any, are there any stories about like? Because I've heard stuff about like. I'm a big fan of chess, so I hear a lot about、right. like Russian chess school. Just like the student didn't make the right move, and then just be like yelling, yelling on and on and on for like five minutes. <laughs> well, it was definitely old school teaching. It wasn't praise all the time, and、uh, you know, a part of me likes to be praised, but it was also good to get some, you know, very constructive criticism sometimes. And you needed to figure it out. You needed to really make it better.、Right. Um, there was obviously praise as well, and the teachers were very kind too.、Um, so that didn't bother me. There were maybe a few instances where I felt like you know the teachers were really one, not the teachers. One teacher just kind of you know yelled at me for. For something completely different, which was that <laughs> he、okay. well, you, you want to hear what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, one uh, one of our my classmates,、uh, um, a friend of mine, she went out to the washroom and she left her diary on the on the table, and he took took his her diary and started reading. And I said, "You can't do that. You can't read somebody's diary out loud. That's really not okay."、Mm-hmm. I stood up for her, and boy, he decimated me.、Oh. He decimated me. How dare I tell him what he can and cannot do? 
I got decimated. So, uh, but I was a hero for my classmates. Yeah, yeah. like and thank it, you for telling him. And also, that. it's not even acting related. No, so, that yeah, wasn't yeah. Right, acting right, right, related. Right, right. It was more like I just didn't think that was cool. Yeah, yeah. But um, but there were that in that same kind of vein, there weren't that many boundaries in terms of like in terms of what the teachers could tell us. They, oh, okay. they, I mean, and and I wouldn't say that they abused it. I wouldn't. But they could say, my God, that was really, really bad. <laughs> that was horrible. Do you say that to your students? <laughs> I don't very often. Funny. No, and, um, you know, but at the same time, I always felt this very sacred relationship with my teachers, student-teacher relationship is something sacred. And I really think that that is something sacred. And I don't like when our current university uh, is sort of treating the students as clients mm. it's a different relationship right yes the students are paying for school but it's it's not not the same as paying for some commodity i think it's not I like think buying a car it's not it's not or anything any any object you right. know it is something that i think is bigger than that deeper than that and you know yeah we're putting a price tag on it unfortunately i mean maybe education should be free but at the same time it's not we're we're in that system but but then it does become muddled that way i think that that we're, we don't have student teacher relationship as something very that should be full of real gratitude and respect we we start going like hey wait a minute like you know i'm a client here right. and you should do what i tell you yes, to do. Like, you should give me a 65 yes exactly that <laughs> right, whole right. thing about grades and stuff can be a little tricky so you know i don't know i, I don't know if we should be grading artistic subjects i think pass or fail should be probably the way to go but but that the university is not set up that way. Um, in any event, um, you know, I, I, I don't hold any grudges for my schooling. I thought I got very good education. I think I know what you mean. It's the push for excellence. Yes, it is. It's not just about you do what I tell you to do, or it's more like we're trying to achieve something together. I knew that the teachers like really wanted me to be excellent. They right. just, maybe they sometimes went about it in a um, strict disciplinarian or sometimes a little bit critical way. Mm -hmm. But uh, hey, like uh, I would go home, I would cry a little and then I would go, oh, maybe he or she is uh, right. Maybe I should look <laughs> at, at this. Maybe and I like, you know, <laughs> and this, so, so now we have gone in a completely different direction, I would say. Right. I, I've, I always say that was good. Now let's try. And, you know, I am grateful for the student work always for people trying like and there is that expression in, in English, good old college try, which is like you're trying, you're not always necessarily succeeding. Um, but well, maybe um, that's not enough. But it, maybe that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes it has to be more than that. We, you know, I really want the students to succeed also, and like not not for any real selfish reason i think you know it's really tough out there and the more you the more you know the more you prepare the more you can really 
deliver, the, the better it will be for you. I mean, that's art and art has its own rules. You know, of course there is um, self-care that has to happen and there is uh, um, sometimes... It's like finding uh, the right balance. Hard to find the balance, yeah. you know. Sometimes it's hard to find the balance in any school because there's students have no free time. Um, I remember from an interview, you described yourself as a practitioner who likes theories. Yes. Uh, Which makes sense, like considering you're you're teaching and also you do acting and directing outside of your teaching. So one thing that you teach, like you're an expert in uh, the Chekhov technique. Mm -hmm. And I really like for a field that I'm not very familiar with. I really like to learn about it through these kind of technique and systems and mm-hmm. model or theories or whatever, mm-hmm. because it's kind of like guiding me to learn about this new field. I'm not just going in blind. Um, can you just tell listeners a little bit about what the Chekhov technique is? Yes, it's named uh, after Michael Chekhov, who is an actor, Russian actor, and director uh, and teacher, obviously. He's the nephew of Anton Chekhov. Anton Chekhov is a very famous playwright, one of the most famous playwrights, I would say, in all of Western canon. And Konstantin Sergeyevich Stanislavsky is the father of modern acting. Him and Anton Chekhov collaborated, and uh, basically Stanislavsky and... uh, uh, Sulajitsky and Emirovich Danchenko. I don't want to put too many names in in Russia around the turn of the cent- last century. Started um, sort of uh, paying more attention to psychology in acting, to to psychological underpinnings of what a human being does, so that things have subtext and text. And there is a level of text in what we present, and there is a level of subtext that uh, um, is shown um, through our through our physicality, through our voice, through our relationships, through our movement, and so on. So Stanislavski was very concerned with the idea of action, what do we want, of intention, and of characterization as well. Michael Chekhov was his student, and Michael Chekhov studied and became famous um, under Stanislavski's tutelage. But he also felt that he needed to sort of improve on the genius teacher that he had, and he added the body in this um, equation. He thought that the body also is inextricably connected to the mind, which is nowadays... uh, Everybody talks about mind-body connection. It's totally an accepted idea, and it's very common and popular. But in those days, in 1900s, 1905, 1910, 1920, in the whole world, and in Russia it started, like mind and body connection, well, it was done in other countries as well, simultaneously in Germany as well, and, and in other countries. But mind-body connection became something that people were investigating a lot. And so Chekhov added to Stanislavski's psychology, he added the idea of body. And that we can actually, through instead of sitting at a table and talking about 
what our character wants and what is the scene about and what is the intention in the scene and what are the relationship and what is the history of this um, person's life and uh, history of this relationship. You know, all of that which was discussed and it was called the table work in those days and still is, um, that is discussed around the table and sometimes it took months in Stanislavski theater. He would read plays for months before he would sort of stand up and start working on them to really understand. Chekhov thought that this could be shortened by getting up on our feet immediately and using our body um, as a tool to analyze things, um, analyze character, relationship, analyze intention, analyze scenes, analyze the whole of the play, style of the play even. And so to this end, he started developing um, technique. So the Chekhov technique is kind of like overlapping, can I say that? Yeah, I would on... say with Stanislavski's, yeah, they, they really are enmeshed because then Stanislavski and Chekhov had some conversations towards the end of Stanislavski's life when Stanislavski accepted a lot of his ideas. Right. So, you know, Chekhov would, I would say... Um, be like someone who really added the physical into psychological to make it psychophysical. But then he was also, um, unlike Stanislavski, not accepted by Russian communist regime. He was denounced, Chekhov was, by his colleagues as a spiritualist, as a person who believed in um, God. <laughs> and, and so, yeah... So he had to run, he had to flee overnight and become a refugee and so became a refugee upon his denouncement and spent most of like 30 years as a refugee all over Europe and then the United States of America. And that has colored also, you know, how his technique has developed, who he met on the way and, um, you know, who he worked with and so on. Right. Um, when I was reading about these stuff, like one thing I was kind of thinking is, do actors like because obviously actors during table work and during the you know during rehearsal really they think a lot about what am I supposed to do, what am I supposed to feel, what da 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 da, da you know all these kind of stuff. Is it the job of an actor to make audience feel the thing that they are feeling, or should audience basically what I'm trying to say is, would it consider a failure? "Quote unquote failure." If all the audience looked at a performance and just come up with like wildly different feelings, like well, that's bound to happen, no matter what yeah, you yeah, do. No yeah, yeah, of course. But uh, there, are, there are different styles of theater. So now we're getting into something. I think when an actor feels something deeply, uh, the audience will feel it. Right. It's it's really uh, rare that that doesn't happen when not, when it's fully felt like the audience will be taken along. But then there are styles of theater where you know you're saying, well, do I want the audience to feel this or do I want them maybe to think? Do I want them to cry at this moment or do I want them to maybe have a thought about this particular um, topic that I'm I'm uh, speaking or acting on exploring, exploring yeah, is a good word you know that i'm that i'm telling a story about 
we usually tell some type of story. We do have some type of narrative, even if it's, it's theater. After all, <laughs> it is theater. <laughs> even if it's you know linear and non-linear, even if it's uh, concrete or abstract, it, there is a narrative in in most shows. So um, you know, Stanislavski and Chekhov were very much of the school that you know, if I feel, you feel, and 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 finding getting to the emotional truth of a, of something, but not getting to the emotional truth by trying to feel it, but by getting to that obliquely through doing the right action, creating the right relationship, having the right sensation, uh, understanding the context, then the feeling should arise spontaneously within an actor and as they arise spontaneously as they're not premeditated then they they will likely arise spontaneously in a member of the audience right so that was really fascinating to me because i read something maybe maybe i'm understanding it wrong but a lot of times it feels like the actors if they're using this uh Chekhov's technique it sounded like they're kind of like being critical, like thinking critically, and also shutting that part of the brain at the same time. Yeah, you got it. I mean, there is this idea of dual consciousness in performance in Chekhov technique. This is when we when we're quite advanced, that you are able to simultaneously be involved and be in it, and then uh, that a part of you can still observe it. I mean, this is what actors do anyway. And I would say that the reason I love Chekhov technique is that basically he just he was a fantastic actor himself and he kind of had a very great analytical skill and so he he categorized something that actors already do um such as observing your own performance most many really good actors are able to do that you're able to be inside but a part of you is able to still be critical remove yourself kind yeah of. like but but obviously you have to decide what percentage of you will be critical and what percentage of you will be involved because if that percentage goes like 90% I'm critical and 10% I'm involved then then that that's not exactly I think it might as well 100% critical <laughs> yes yeah. yeah very good yes might as well um, so in the movie Ex Machina the main character tells the other character about um Jackson Pollock who is like well look at look at this Jackson Pollock like, it looks like a mess. It looks like he's he's just going at it, but obviously he has thoughts. It's not just random, mm-hmm. and and it's like the exist like cons like continuously you're both thinking critically because it's not madness. There's method no, to it. It's not madness, but at the same time you you're just going at it like you're just and that yes. and I, and when I was reading Chekhov, I was like ah, oh, it, rem- it reminded me of that scene. When he was like explaining, very what interesting. You Jackson should Pollock. mention that. Yeah, I think um, you know there is a degree of abstraction in Chekhov technique. You would um, work with qualities of movement, something that is very abstract, something that people, when they read in the book, they go, "I don't even know what he means by this." And that is, you know, I'll give the very simple quality: moving slowly. That is a quality already slowly. And if you move slowly, there will be certain psychology that's going to be coming. If you move slowly and 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 curved movements or slowly and straight movements, if you're moving <laughs> slowly and um, slowly but yet um, intercepted movement, each one of them will 
produce a kind of a different psychological makeup. So, um, so then from that movement and that psychology, that, that psychology will feed the movement, the movement will feed the psychology, and then the, all of that comes through in the voice to, to create a certain um, relationship. Uh, to the world, a certain kind of thinking, feeling, and willing, which 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 then makes up your your character, as it were. Um, do you know Do you know what's Gonzo journalism? Have you heard of it? I don't know what that is. Do you know Have you heard of a guy called Hunter S. Thompson? Yes, I have. So Hunter S. Thompson, <laughs> the way he he writes, that style is called Gonzo journalism. Okay, and it reminds me of Chekhov. <laughs> well, I think maybe that's going a little far. Yeah, 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 totally. Like, and also, it's not just—it's not fiction. I'll tell you why. Um, Chekhov, Chekhov um, also was um, concerned with aesthetics, mm. so in sense of form. So um, I think that's where he maybe differs from from the Gonzo anything because right. he he felt uh, and wrote about it that each work of art needs to have a um, sense of beauty sense of ease sense of form and sense of the whole and he called them the four brothers these this is like on top of everything right. this is this is something this is that's so on... not hunter s Thompson. yes it's not <laughs> it's not and and he was very much actually uh, against um showing um, any anything maybe he was a little bit of a purist there anything disturbing or anything mm. um huh. uh grisly or anything um crew too uh, bloody or gory or anything like that upon the stage that he is... was he was anti that this is so fascinating to me because yeah. I still feel there is so much. Well, there is maybe a sense of freedom, a sense of uh, not being censoring. mechanical in like, any way and not censoring and not being mechanical. Right. He was very much against anything mechanical. He wanted people to continuously explore, to continuously search, to continuously refresh their impulse, impulse being a leap of your imagination. So that you would always be seeking for consistent inconsistency or inconsistent consistency. Right. So he 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 wanted that always a little bit of chaos in everything that you did, but a controlled chaos rather than um, you know Tom Andreas uh, <laughs> Thompson. Anything goes. He was definitely not an anything goes uh, artist. Also with his sense of the form, because he believed that sense of the form. And when we say form, we go, is that formality? Not formality. Something being formed, something being fully formed, that that is very important. An idea of form and what kind of form we are seeking. And that is um, something that is very difficult for people to, to grasp. And I would say that that is really advanced learning of Chekhov technique to, to understand ease, beauty, form, and whole. The whole. I think it's the immediacy that really made me think of hunter s thompson okay. like the whole like, yeah yeah like you're not again like you're not shutting your brains off like hunter s thompson wasn't just Bleh, like just like he like he act like he's out there like he's crazy but he's not like on no. the inside like he knows what he's doing no. but also he's experiencing the world and just in a very emotional way like it's not like he's constantly analyzing it and the yes. way he just like 
Okay, I'm, I'm only gonna, like, I'm not even gonna edit this, like... The idea of analyzing while you're doing is actually uh, not a good idea, I think, in, in any mm-hmm. artistic work. Yes, a part of you can watch, and then we can analyze later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, watch so that you don't lose yourself, so that you don't go into madness, because that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking to lose ourselves. We, right. we are looking to find ourselves through our art and find lose those are kind of like you know opposites and polarities that really they're just words uh it's it's really just about expressing something um genuinely authentically with a sense of beauty and sense of form and in relation to the others so then that becomes a sense of the whole right okay let's talk a bit about foreign tongue yeah let's so you wrote that play and it premiered in 2019. Yeah. You published that play under Lola Zinos. Zin- uh, L- Lola Zinos. Yes. Why? Um, when I was writing that. Oh, excuse me. Let, let's yes. first uh, let's first tell the listener what's Foreign Tongues about. Foreign Tongue is a musical. It's about a woman. Her name is Kathy Woodrow. From she's from Peterborough, and she lives in Toronto. And she gets a big migraine and and, and falls down and wakes up speaking in a thick Russian accent. And she's diagnosed with foreign accent syndrome. <laughs> and people really laugh about that, but it is a real syndrome, and people have been diagnosed with that syndrome. I I saw a news about this British lady. Yes, who had she woke up speaking with Chinese, Chinese accent. accent? Yes, and I it's saw like that. she is making fun of Chinese, but she's not. Like no. that's actually how she speaks. <laughs> yes. She's not making. She's being serious. Yes, and it's like, what fever dream have I entered? <laughs> like, what am I watching? Like, it's 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 bizarre. <laughs> it is bizarre, and it's funny. And so I read uh, and, uh, some articles about foreign accent syndrome, and I thought, okay, this is. This is a perfect metaphor for a situation for for any immigrant really who comes to 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 Canada. You, if you're not from an English speaking country, but even then, but especially from an English speaking country, you come in and a non English speaking country, you come in and all of a sudden you're a person with an accent, and everybody's asking you where you're from, and it's like you you know fell into a coma while on that airplane trip uh, flight, and you woke up from that coma, and all of a sudden you're this person who is othered, person who is um, with an accent, person who is always being asked, where are you from? Always. So, Lola. Lola. So then I started writing this, um, and I, first of all, I didn't know I was going to be writing a musical, but as I was writing, I started writing songs, and I thought, okay, it's a musical. Who knew? And that really excited me. And then I thought, well, but I just really... I. I don't want to be writing this. I don't want to be Cynthia Asperger, which is my pronunciation of my name in Croatian. I don't want to be Cynthia Asperger. This is my pronunciation of my my name in English. Because really, I'm neither of those people when I'm writing this. I'm both of those people. And then I thought, well, I need a nom de plume. I need a, a, a in, in traditional pen name, yes, uh, in the in the great tradition of many writers I need a pen name and um, and then I thought okay what will it be and Xenos is 
a foreigner in old Greek, like xenophobia, xenophilia. And Lola, I thought, was um, a fun name, and then it had two connotations for me. Um, Ivo Lola Ribar was a, a Yugoslav anti-fascist fighter in Second World War. And then there was also Lola Montez, who was a very famous sort of femme fatale. So I thought Lola sounds good, and it's anti-fascist femme fatale, who is a foreigner, who is writing this. <laughs> it's also sound, but it sounds Spanish. Lola Zenos, yes, very good, yes. It's kind of, it should sound Spanish-Greek, but it kind of, it, it can be, you know, some very mysterious lady. I, I it just my brain would not associate because like like Lola is Lola yeah Lola is like Eastern Europe it's just like ah oh, that's very <laughs> yes. interesting I I just wonder like why Lola so yeah like you mentioned as as someone who speaks with an accent like people just ask you oh where are you from um, how do you feel about that questions now I don't mind that question I mean I I I have never really minded it it always shows an interest in the person so like i've i've it's asked good, you where are you intention. from right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's I mean, not like, like they're not, it's not nah, like nah, i'm right. s- sort of deliberately othering you right but the nature of the question is however othering me <laughs> i mean where are you from means i'm not from here right and so it's i've i have such a complex relationship to that question because first of all i am also from here mm-hmm. as i drive around especially here um, in the kawarthas where i spent years having a cottage here and done many shows here and i love this part of canada i really feel like mm-hmm. i am you also from Canadian, here of course like you've been here longer than me <laughs> yes exactly longer than yeah, you I, you've, yeah you've exactly you've been here longer than i've been alive yes <laughs> so like you know but but at the same time like you know what is the landscape of landscape and land of my childhood is it is zagreb it's croatia it's you know it's the adriatic sea it's those old squares and old towns in Europe. And so that's also where I'm from. Um, I am from both of those places. I am from Canada. I am from Croatia. Um, I really feel like I am both of those things. But in my profession of acting, a lot of the times I've been othered. A lot of the times I have been placed in roles of... um, Foreigners, Russian spies, cleaning ladies, Eastern European cleaning ladies and Russian spies. And kind of like, you know, not really being able to be the hero or the protagonist or like, you know, someone who is the protagonist of their own life. Um, So in Foreign Tongue, I wrote the role of Vishnya, who is the second lead, who, who is an actress, who is a cleaning lady. And who is struggling to get work as as an actor here in Canada because of her accent. And um, I have also played a lot of sad immigrants, uh, always people connected, always wanted to go back home. And I feel like, you know, yeah, certainly that is a trope and that is something that exists. But there are also other things that happen to immigrants that is not connected to their immigrant existence. We fall in love, we have children. 
we work in all sorts of jobs. We mm-hmm. meet all like sorts you're of people. Also, an accountant. Like, and I'm like also talking to you right now, and exactly. like you know, uh, the, we're two people in a in a space. Like it's just, I it cannot be the be all and end all, and um, you know, um, it has been kind of like really torturous and over the years to to uh, uh, be answering that question in the context of my profession of an actor. Ah, uh, right, yeah. It has not been so much in like other, situa- like, yeah, right, other right, right, situations right. because I feel like in the context of being an actor, you are immediately othered. Right, and, and, and you immediately can see that they're scheming something in their brain. Yes. Yeah. That, uh, it's like, well, oh, now I'm... Whether like it's be- scheming or not, it's like, oh yeah, she will not be right for this, 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 for this. And oh, she'll she only might. be right for this, for, for this, just, for this, for this. For this. Right. Maybe not that many. She will only oh, be right wow. for this and this, right, you know. Right. So like, you know, your possibilities, your opportunities really, really shrink. Mm. I mean in a major way and it hasn't unfortunately changed much in my 35 years here and I have seen a drastic change um, in like um, relationship to visible minorities to BIPOC colleagues thank God Uh, but I have not seen a drastic change in the audible minority situation this the, the question like where are you from like outside of your professional realm like i'm just gonna t- like talk about my experience for example when i first started working and and just chatting right like like just chatting with new co-worker and then after 20 minutes later they say where are you from and i would just think like okay what are they trying to ask? Are they trying to ask where where I'm from before I came to Canada? Are they trying to ask where I'm from in Canada? Especially in university, right? Like you go to a different town and they just ask you, where are you from? And it's like, oh, do I say Hong Kong or do I say London, Ontario? <laughs> and, and, and also there what are did like, you say? I usually say London, Ontario because people are too much are interested in like Hong Kong. And I'm like, I hardly know you. Yes. Once we develop some relationship, then we can talk more. I like your answer. <laughs> I should have said more like I'm from Toronto. Yeah, I'm from Toronto. Yeah, I, like. But then there is the element of curiosity. And I mean, I, I cannot, I'm guilty of the same thing. I have asked people, where are you from? So then I, I, I say to myself, well, you know, if you were doing the same thing, like you, you, you cannot be mad when somebody asks you right. where you're from. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, either you never ask that question, but it's the, the the curiosity is great. I love the curiosity. Yeah, I really know what you mean by you don't like being asked that question, but only in the professional sense. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like there, it's it's for a reason of, uh, maybe not believing that there that you'll have a level of competency in something right you know yeah okay yeah i totally get it now because yeah yeah i totally get it but like but then again sometimes i say right like where they ask me oh where are you from i say oh i'm from hong kong and they were like i mean like how long did you take to drive to this place and (laughs) and i'm like oh i'm an idiot Oh, see, there's the opposite too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like they're not; of they course. don't care about and where that I'm has from. To me as well, right? Yeah, it's like they're not thinking about me; they're thinking about like some other stuff. Like, yeah, and, and I'm yeah like, of oh, course, I'm yeah, of course. And then, and there then is all that, yeah. and I think, and I think, just as long as we're talking about all of that, 
and as long as I think the people who are audible minority are included as possible people who might be othered and who truly are othered because of it and that 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 is maybe examined and looked at and and shifted I think because Canada is so international now there's so many languages spoken that we really should say well yeah these people who who are here as first generation they are from here now as well Mm -hmm. um so I want to kind of loop back to talk about uh visible minority and and versus audible minority. Mm-hmm. So I remember from an interview of Malcolm Gladwell, he was mm-hmm. saying that uh, you always think with your eyes, but feel with your ears. I'm not sure do I really oh. buy into this all the time, but there are scenarios and situations where I do think this is correct. And do you think speaking with an accent kind of versus looking differently kind of comes into play because it's very... I agree. Yeah, right, right, yeah, agree. yeah. I think it's it's stronger in a sense. It's interesting that Gladwell said that's, said that that's feeling. Um, that that different sound uh, is stronger emotionally, yeah, than, than the look, I think. But, you know, <laughs> see, I said, I think, I feel, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's an interesting theory. I would just say that we now, let's say in Shakespeare, we're seeing every race, you know, and we're not thinking much of it when we see actor of any race like, playing Shakespeare. Like yeah, yeah, like that's that's, that's not their yeah, rigor. Fine. It's totally normal and accepted. But I, I think we don't see, um, you know, a lot of people who sound differently. We don't see, we don't hear a lot of people sounding differently in in Shakespeare, even even with other than British accents, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's so, because it's like, like, you think about discriminating someone who looks visibly different. It's like, you think and you obviously, and you can go, well, obviously that's wrong. Yes. Whereas when you're listening, it just very easily... Slip, disregarded like slip yeah 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 you yeah, you don't think mind. about it for sure mm-hmm. yeah it's it's something and and a lot of people when when i explained to them what foreign tongue was about uh even my co-writer on the film script richard beatty we uh, now have a film script that we're trying to get made from foreign tongue oh, nice. into a movie and he when i first explained to him what the what the movie was uh, what the, uh, the uh, play was about, the musical, he said, oh my God, I, I, I never really considered this in my life. And then, you know, the more questions he had and we got deeper and deeper into it. And so I, I don't think it's something that is that obvious. Yeah, I think I, I think seeing someone is more obvious f- for better, yeah, lack of a better word. <laughs> it literally is. I see you, <laughs> you know, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, it's a musical. Yes. Uh, do the singers also sing in accent? Yes. Yes, they do. I I don't know. Maybe I just haven't haven't listened to maybe like French singer or Eastern European singer. But when I listen to non-American sing in English, like they all just sound very similar. Mm-hmm. And did you find that with singing? We did, we did. And we posed that question to ourselves, will we sing with accents or not? Because it does change when 
you, you know, the Rolling Stones, they're British and they sound American yes. when they're singing. And yeah. um, it's it's different because when, when you're singing, you can stretch your vowels and it's mm. it's different with the with even with pronouncing something. Yeah, but, yeah, true. But you can hear sometimes when a Russian singer sings in English, you can hear something. Uh, but we 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 thought that yes, it would be better if if we sang, especially solos in accent uh, solo when you're oh. singing solo or maybe a duet. When we're singing as a as a group, when when they're choral numbers, it's it's a lot harder so, to do it because there's so many different accent in, accents in the play. Yeah. So we 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 chose a certain sound, yeah for certain words and so on. One of my favorite band is Churches. It's a Scottish band. Um, but the singer, like whenever, like when I listen to their song, they don't sound Scottish. Like it's a electric pop. It, it has no Scottish vibe. But the singer say, sing one word with Scottish accent. She sing the word proud, like proud, something like that. Proud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, every time I listen to that song, I just remember like that part yeah, really okay. pops out to me. Right. Because yeah, something gives you away. Mm-hmm, but otherwise, she just sound American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, <I laughs> it's possible. Know. It's yeah. totally possible. It, it's a theory that I have with my friends is that yeah. like American accent is the default accent for everyone. Yes, know. but well, I, I'm not sure. Though. Like, well, when when you when one is singing, yeah, it it seems to be. It mm-hmm, seems to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, mostly rock and pop when one is. Yeah. How do you feel about your accent now? Well, it has really changed. Now people don't ask me that much, where are you from anymore? Mm-hmm. So I've, I feel it's part of me. I feel like, you know, it's something that I've that has shifted and changed over the years, just through my living here. And that's another thing with accent. Your accent does shift and change. Big time. Depends on the environment. Big time. Yeah. Right. And then depends on how many years you've been speaking the language, too. I mean, obviously, you I'm sure you sounded differently when you first yeah. came to Canada than you yeah. sound now. So that is where it's different than, let's say, uh, being a visible minority. You're, you're not going to change. Right. Like, your look isn't going to change. Uh, but my accent has shifted and changed. But it's still a part of me. It's still something that is an inextricable part of me. It's not something that I can really control completely but i can learn any accent that's the thing you know i just need to give be given a little bit of time and instruction i can yeah so yeah but i love it i must say i love it um i it's funny now i sometimes i go for auditions and my accent isn't strong enough and i have to put (laughs) one on and i'm thinking oh my god how cruel is this world I remember watching, it was just like offhandedly, I was watching some Gordon Ramsay stuff. And again, he's Scottish or Irish, I don't remember. I think it's, uh-oh. <laughs> I think he's Scottish. Um, but but he speaks with English accent most of the time nowadays. And one of the episodes, his guest is a Scottish person. And he, like you can see throughout he the episode, he's more, yeah, he sounded more and more Scottish the, right. as the episode goes on. And it's like, yeah, the environment changes how the accent yes. is big time. Yes. Uh, but I, I wonder, um, do you feel something like, oh, I'm losing my accent? Like, I'm, I don't sound like, do you have any of that in the back of your mind at all? No, no, I don't. I mean, I can, 
I can speak with an accent if you want me right, to. Right. It's not a problem. I can do many <laughs> different accents. So it's not a problem for me to put on accent. Right. But, uh, but you know, I just, I just speak how I speak. And that's finally, ultimately, you know, I, I think I had to really examine and go deeper than the sounds, the consonants, the vowels. I had to say, well, who am I, you know, authentically inside? And that, I think, has made me a better actor and a better teacher to go beyond, you know, uh, to, to really go deep into the um, um, authentic self of a person, you know, uh, to help a person find that. And for me, to really go there was the only salvation for me because that was the only way that I didn't feel kind of objectified in a sense that I am, you know, somebody, the other, somebody who doesn't know how to speak. But also... When I first came here, and I, you know that, I mean, it's very frightening because you don't know certain words and you don't know certain phrases and you don't understand and you miss out and you don't know certain songs that everybody else knows. Uh, you're not part of the environment in that sense. My thing is I have no re like childhood reference like of childhood shows. Yes. When like my friends will talk about Magic School Bus or Little Einstein, I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> or like Vegetable. you know nursery rhymes mm -hmm. uh, hey diddle diddle the cat and the fiddle and i know that through my daughter right but so i mean i raised a child in, uh, who here and so i i learned her obviously childhood stuff but that wouldn't be my generation but i think the big point is that you can bring someone in you can include them and you can also include other people in your culture. And that, I think, is the beauty of multiculturalism. That's the, that's the point. <laughs> I think anything. that is. <laughs> yeah. I think that is. And, and I think, I hope that there will be more stories that will allow for something like that. My friends forced me to watch an episode of Magic School Bus. <laughs> and what was it like? Uh, it wasn't like they know I love space and like galaxy and stuff like that. So they showed me an episode talking about the solar system. But that was back in the days when Pluto was still a planet. Oh. So I just said, this is wrong. <laughs> that, that's, that was like, and they were like, that's not the point. You gotta watch. No. I'm like, but I'm not a child. I don't like this. <laughs> um, maybe like, you know, like talk it's to the four-year-old me. It's hard to, to, to relive a childhood that mm -hmm. when you weren't there. Mm -hmm. It's like talk to the four-year-old me. I don't know. I don't find this that interesting <laughs> to me. Um, but obviously, accent isn't the only thing that define an identity. Let's say like no, Eastern exactly. Europe. The Eastern European. I don't even think about Eastern Europe accent when I, when I first think about Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. um, what it seems like to be the one that everybody likes to make fun of. I mean, that's the one that's still allowed to be made fun of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine. I think accents are endearingly kind of funny. funny. <laughs> and pronouncing something different, just because you pronounce it different, it is funny. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of amusing and it's also um, surprising. And that makes us sometimes laugh. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's always malicious and... Uh, I think, again, it's the intention behind, like, even doing an accent, right. you know. Like, why are you doing this? Are you trying yeah. to make fun of yeah. me? Or are you just trying to do, or like, are you, like are you trying to make a you point? Are maybe like, mirroring me? Or are you, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's not so simple, I think. 
was the original idea of foreign tongue trying to explore Eastern European idea, like Eastern European, or just explore no. the idea of foreignness and just the idea of foreignness and how we stereotype each other? What we've been talking about for the last hour, right? But it wasn't like specifically about it has to like, no it was yeah. something that that i felt that i knew yeah, and i wanted and i wanted to be because my character vishnya which uh, uh, in translation means sour cherry and it's it is a real name vishnya teaches kathy kedi kedi woodrow from peterborough she teaches her um her whole cultural identity because kedi um, um, Kathy, <laughs> Kathy, Kathy is Kathy. Kathy um, needs an identity because a guy falls in love with her, and she lies to him that she's from from oh. uh, Bosnia, oh. and 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 then she she has to create an identity for herself. So my character teaches her oh. how to be that person. It's kind of her Bengali or I wish her. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's a beautiful show. People really really related to it. Uh, Canadian uh, friends as well as I mean. Canadian friends of English speaking background and and uh, immigrant uh, Canadian friends they all related to it um, in different ways and it was really a wonderful way of uniting people I thought I was very proud about that that my show um, you know really brought people together to have that conversation and it wasn't about like separating them and 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 let's say leaving the Canadians out. They were laughing. So Canadians, by that I mean English-speaking Canadians. Um, first mother tongue English. Um, native speaker versus native, native speaker, speaker versus non-native speaker. Yes, or you know, there are so many so many ways politically yeah. correct ways yes. of saying a person yeah. with an accent versus a person without an accent. You know, so I see a lot of people, especially in Peterborough, that really champion their Irish heritage. I mean, oh. of course, like Peterborough, it was settled by an Irish explorer or someone. I'm not sure. Um, and when I think of Irish and Irish culture, like I guess accent is there, but it's like not top five. Uh, maybe I don't know Irish. I guess maybe I we also just see irish accent like hear Poetry, irish accent more gift of the gab or or, or like like <laughs> humor whiskey and like drinking whiskey. a lot and just like uh, uh, like saint patrick and like and yes the, the boston celtic basketball team because i watch for me basketball. it's the sense of the humor beautiful sense mm, of the humor that the irish have ah but it's very fascinating because we're just looking at the same thing but we see different and things. green grass <laughs> mm. but you know, yeah, for me, it is also the Irish accent. For, for I hear it. But if you want to, I am just want to, like, I want you to, like, champion Eastern European culture. Like, if I want to say, well, outside of accent, what's cool? What is cool about Eastern ah, Europe? Like, what would you say? I would say it's kind of, uh, the humor is very uh, direct and kind of, honest i think there is um a passion a sort of a largesse um, non-censoring of oneself i suppose there is a lot of uh not respecting of boundaries that can be very beautiful and you know <laughs> I, I i understand that you know as a city person and sometimes having to work with 
people that live in country for a bit longer. It's like, oh, I I understand what you mean by like the a bit just too in. Intimate, like, intimate immediately and sharing mm, uh, too much information mm, kind like, of thing. I don't, I'm not, we're not close <laughs> enough for right, that yet. Right, right. Yeah, well, right, that's right, in that's Eastern what... Europe is pretty common. Oh, okay. And I would say it's a, a real, real warmth. And there is also, I'm talking now of my people, Croatians, and I'm talking about maybe people from our region, Bosnians, because the woman in the show is really Bosnian. Um, an incredible kind of generosity. So that's what sense really... of humor, generosity. But then you see, but then then that unites all the all. That's the good qualities in every maybe every nationality. I guess. I, <laughs> I guess so. Like what? Like what? Like what food did you eat growing up that we that you don't see very often in Canada? <laughs> It's even in every the show. Time. I ate chevapchichi. <laughs> What's that? Chevapchichi are like kind of these mini, um, mini sausage looking hamburgers that oh, go into okay. um, samoon which is a bun uh, <laughs> with kaimak which is a kind of a cheese <laughs> oh wow i'm so out of my depth i have no idea what you're talking about chivapchichi <laughs> in samoon okay <laughs> you'll have it when you go to yeah. any of those countries but, yeah. but no i mean it's not just chivapchichi sarma and um oh my god so many different things <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about teaching during COVID. Yeah. So I was a business student and a math student, and I was already feeling super unsatisfied learning about math and business mm-hmm. through Zoom. It must be even worse for acting, right? Well, I had the good fortune to be um, on sabbatical the first year of And it was planned before uh, the pandemic started, so I, I, had, I was given the option of not to do it because because um, people couldn't travel and people on sabbaticals often travel. But I chose to take it, and so I didn't see the worst of it. I did see the results of the worst of it, and they were bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I will not lie. Yeah, people did their best. People were learning how to do it. Online, people were trying to convince themselves that this is now the new way forward and that online theaters uh, has just, has got a lot of future. And all of that might be true, but I mean, it, it just cannot replace the real thing. It just cannot. Being in the same space with mm-hmm. someone and acting and reacting is very different than reacting on, on screen. And, you know, there is something that's purely physical. We're, I, I see the, the, the real light. Is, yeah. I, I feel your energy. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's very different. One thing, though, um, that stayed from the pandemic for all the actors and not just school is that the auditions, most of the auditions are now filmed uh, for film and TV. They're done on Zoom or they're done um, as self-tapes. So that has stayed. We don't go into spaces anymore to audition very rarely. That must be nice, right? I mean, That is wonderful. That yeah. is wonderful. So there has been a beautiful silver lining. It is nice because you can do multiple takes. You can sort of um, do it when you want to. As long, for as long as you want to, you can find your own background, you can also safe space. Like this this opens up to out of town people too. Yes, yeah. you can exactly. You can more people get get an opportunity. Obviously, so it also has made um, like auditions even more competitive, as if they were competitive yeah, enough. <laughs> I heard like every actors are very used to being rejected. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, that's just yeah. part of part of the life now. <laughs> 
we are. But that, you know, so that's possible and I've continued in terms of teaching, to go, to go back to your original question, I've continued to do audition prep on, on Zoom. Because I oh, think it's better right. for the students to do that on Zoom. I think it's it's more, it's more like reality. It is. It's it's closer to reality, and we need to sort of mimic the reality as much as we can for the students. So you've done TVs, you've done movies, and obviously you've done theater. Uh, which one do you prefer, or do you like all of them for different reasons? I don't have a preference. Like oh, it's, wow. I prefer a good project. I prefer a project that has you know a good. Oh, parts, huh. good dialogue, good. Um, no, I can't say that pre- that I prefer anything. I mean, theater, oh, wow. the- like, okay, theater is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true love. Well, you know, theater is <laughs> unbeatable in the sense of being present there only once, and every performance different. Every performance different, but theater in that way is also so ephemeral. It's so tragic in a sense because your performance is just there it's beautiful like a beautiful rose but it's just there for that moment and then the rose dies and it's gone you know and so that's why theater is beautiful but theater is also that what is why it's hard um and film and tv i think uh, maybe doesn't give you as much of a immediate satisfaction of, of communicating with the audience and your partners like in that uninterrupted way that a theater performance is but it does give you a great satisfaction of being able to look at it many years later and and actually having a you know some kind of right legacy or body of work or something uh so what about in uh writing versus directing versus acting do you have a preference on that hmm well no i mean acting i find is maybe now that I've directed and written um, acting, for, I've done acting the longest, so it's for me acting is maybe the easiest. I feel like directing is is a very hard job. It's a lot of fun too, a lot of fun, uh, but it's it's you are responsible for everything and and yeah. you are on all the time, and it's 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 a very stressful, I think, uh, job. And then you don't get to play later on. You just get to play during the rehearsals. You get you don't get to play with everyone, and that's the you know payoff for the actors that you get to play later. And in terms of writing, writing is wonderful. I, it's it's a completely different activity for me than directing and acting. Are very connected. I feel like they're very similar but different. Uh, but writing is so solitary, and you can the freedom of writing is wonderful. You you can really do it whenever you want. You can write a part for yourself. You can write a part for yourself, which I did, but you can do it whenever you want and however you want, and nobody can tell you anything. I mean, they do because they dramatize you to death. Yeah, they but... do because you want to put the show on. You don't yes. want to just, it's not just in your fantasy. It's not just for yourself, yeah. but at least like when you're doing it, uh, it, it's an incredible sense of freedom. Right. So one last question. Do you have any, some of your favorite character you've ever played? Oh, yeah. I mean... Yes. Oh God, so many. I do like Vishnu that I wrote for myself. She's wonderful. She's got a, such a great sense of humor, and she, you know, she she never feels sorry for herself. She's so generous and lovely. Um, 
I, I do love a character that Judy Thompson wrote for me in Who Killed Snow White, which you saw. No, you no, didn't. I didn't. Yeah, that's a very large, tragic role. Um, and just, you know, requires like um, almost operatic kind of size and, and strength. And, and similarly, uh, Clytemnestra and Judith's um, Electra in Bosnia that she also wrote for me. Um, I love both of those parts and I love playing both of those parts for the, for the, for the size of their tragedy, for the, for the imagery, for the, for the beauty of that tragedy. And um, there was a wonderful role that I did um, in A Summer's Day by Jon Fosse, where I played an old woman and a young woman. That was directed by myself, actually. <laughs> it's a beautiful part. Um, sometimes it's played by two actors, but I played it myself. There were, there were two of us actresses playing four parts, all two old ladies and two younger women, same, same people. And so that required transformation, and that transformation was done through masks. So um, I had masks made oh. in Bali for the old ladies. So the old ladies were masked, and they were very stylized. And then the the younger women were realistic. And that was the Jon Fosse is a very famous Norwegian writer. I did love doing that role, young woman, old woman in a summer's day. Oh, geez. I mean, you know, yeah, those are maybe... years. How can I choose, right? The, 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 you know, the, those those jump out. I did like Eve Harrington in Applause. That was one of the musicals, big musicals that I did. There's also a movie all about Eve. That was a, that was a great part and a great production and a kind of like a big old villainess part. Nice. <laughs> Well, so that was really fun. I that conversation was fascinating. Thank you. You really prepared well. I loved your questions. Thank so you. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I thank you very much for being my guest. Yeah. Thank you. Like the name of the podcast suggests, I am curious, and I like to learn about different things. But I sometimes wonder if I'm wasting my time learning about stuff that are too irrelevant to me. And researching this episode helps me realize once again that learning about different things is good. Even for topics that seems unrelated to what you do, like acting. Because you then will learn to associate new things with old things that you already know. And it sometimes leads to actual improvement on the more relevant skills. So until next time, stay curious.